This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is Dr. Kara Shepard. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of Goat Talk with the Goat Doc, a podcast dedicated to talking about goats, goat husbandry, and goat medicine. Since this is the first episode of the podcast, I'm just going to take a moment to introduce myself. I'm a practicing veterinarian. I work in Maine and New Hampshire, and I have also been raising Nubian dairy goats since about 2008, so for about 10 years now. My husband and I run a commercial farmstead creamery in southern Maine, and we've raised a lot of goats over the last 10 years. In practice, I work both in the clinic setting and ambulatory on the road. Uh, I see small animal patients, dogs and cats, and the occasional uh, rabbit or chicken in the clinic a few days a week at a clinic in New Hampshire, and when I'm on the road, the vast majority of my patients are goats. The goal of this podcast is to provide goat owners with a reliable and accurate source of information about goat medicine in particular. There's a lot of questionable information out there on the internet about uh, treatments and recommendations for especially goats and goat medicine. Uh, In my experience, there's not a lot of veterinarians who feel comfortable treating goats. So I'm trying to provide a source of information that will be helpful for people who raise these animals. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes and rate and review. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at goatdoccara at gmail.com, G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com, or you can find me on the web at goatdoc.com. As we get into the first podcast, just a disclaimer, which you will hear a variation on at the beginning of every podcast. Uh, The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional care by a veterinarian. Um, The podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or professional advice. I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid veterinary client-patient relationship with your veterinarian. So for the first episode, uh, I'm going to talk on a topic that I have fielded a lot of calls and questions about this spring, and that is diarrhea in goat kids. It's spring. This is peak kidding and lambing season, um, maybe even a little bit on the downside up in New England where I live. Um, So there's always a question of what's normal, what's not, and when do I need to worry? So I'm going to try to help you, help guide you through that. We're going to talk a little bit about when to worry, when not to worry, and some causes of diarrhea in goat kids. Uh, in veterinary school, when we talk about diarrhea, we have, we kind of delineate it into two different categories, whether it is a self-limiting diarrhea or is it a life-threatening diarrhea. And that can be a really good place to start and think about what you're looking at, and is it something that you need to panic about or not? So a self-limiting diarrhea is your 
goat kid who is happy and bouncy and has a normal temperature and a good appetite and was what we call on our medical notes BAR, which means bright, alert, and responsive. So those animals are happy and bouncy and totally normal, um, and they may have some soft poops. Uh, Normal goat kid uh, stool is a yellow color because they're ingesting mostly milk as their main diet. And normal consistency is formed and not sticking on fur and not runny. So um, your your self-limiting diarrhea goat kid has a good appetite, is happy, has a normal temperature, um, and otherwise seems totally fine. And then if you're looking at your life-threatening diarrhea, this is a kid that looks sick. This is a kid that is depressed, dull, um, dehydrated, uh, may, if it's standing, it may be hunched up in the hind end, uh, look painful, have a poor appetite, uh, refuses food or drinks less milk than it normally would, um, and has an abnormal temperature, which may be high or low. So for me, for goat kids, I like to see them at about 101, 102 Fahrenheit. Um, if you're higher than that, uh, You may be, certainly if you're getting up into like 104, I'm looking at them more carefully, or if you're lower than that, I'm looking at them more carefully. One of the most common reasons I see people start to freak out about their goat kid having soft stool is in really young kids. So often these are kids that are maybe three to 12 days old, uh, really brand new little guys. Um, and very often these are what we call milk scours. And this falls in the self-limiting category of diarrhea for goat kids. These kids are like, I just talked about, they're bright and alert. They're hungry. Uh, if you bottle feed them, they're looking for the bottle. They're looking for more. They have good appetites. Uh, the, in my herd, the kids that are milk scours culprits are the piggy eaters. So usually these are the boys. They chug down their milk, or if they're on a bucket feeder, so multiple kids eating out of the same feeder, they're the ones that fill up like little balloons really fast. If these are kids that are on their dam, uh, so they're dam raised, they may have moms that are very high producing animals. So basically mom makes a lot of milk and there's a lot of food for the baby to Milk scours can also occur, especially in bottle babies, um, if the formula that they're being fed, so if they're on a goat milk replacer, um, if that formula is changed or if they're transitioning from mom's milk, because all babies should be getting colostrum uh, within the first 24 hours of their life, um, if they're transitioning to a formula and that transition happens too quickly, uh, they can develop scours. Uh, Or if they are being fed an inappropriate formula, which could be a homemade formula um, that is not nutritionally adequate or appropriate for the kid. I've seen some pretty interesting homemade recipes uh, that people swear to out on good old uh, Dr. Facebook and Dr. Google. Uh, So that also any change in diet certainly can cause a soft. So for kids that I am fairly confident have a milk scour situation going on, I basically feed them through it. Uh, Again, these kids are bright and alert. They are happy. They're hungry. They want to eat. So I feed them. Uh, It's kind of an old school uh, cow dairy frame of mind where we used to think that withholding food from these animals was a good idea. Uh, That has changed in veterinary medicine. Usually 
uh, as long as there's not an additional concern, I would feed these animals right through their scours, which usually I would expect milk scours to not last more than a couple of days at the most. Most often in my experience, these clear up within 24 hours, 36 hours tops. Um, so I don't withhold milk, especially in the really, really little guys. They need those calories. They need that energy. They need those glucose stores. Withholding milk is not my treatment of choice. Some people will say withhold milk and replace that with electrolytes. I'm also not a huge fan of that. If you're concerned about dehydration and want to give electrolytes, those could be added as an additional meal rather than a, a replacement for a regular milk meal. Most often what I see people do with a milk scour kid is freak out and want to change something, add probiotics, feed a homemade replacer, change to a different kind of replacer, change to a cow's milk, change to goat's milk from the store, change to powdered goat's milk, all of those things. And then they freak out even more when the diarrhea continues. But what you're doing is you're changing what that gastrointestinal system is trying to get used to so it makes it more difficult for the kid to adjust and for the stools to become normal and formed. So milk scours are a very good example of when to look at a kid or an animal and say, is this something that is self-limiting or is this life-threatening? And if you're looking at a kid that's happy and bouncing around and running to mom for milk or really getting aggressive about the bottle, I think it's fairly confident to say that that is something that is self-limiting. Of course, this can always change, um, and you can, especially in younger kids, uh, things can change quickly. They're small animals, and things can go downhill quickly, unfortunately. So you do need to keep an eye on these guys um, and watch out for changes. Uh, In the younger kids, we were talking about young kids with milk scours, so I'm going to kind of stay in the young kid age range right now. Um, Diarrhea certainly can become life-threatening if it is uh, severe enough to cause dehydration or it can be a sign of another systemic illness. So young kids from five days to three weeks old uh, can be a prime time for what we call failure failure of passive transfer, or FPT, in uh, veterinary medicine. So that is a failure of uh, adequate colostrum intake, which I will also talk about more in more detail on a future episode. But if a diarrhea is a symptom of other systemic illness, you're going to be looking at that uh, more concern about a life-threatening diarrhea. So when you're looking at a situation where you're concerned about life-threatening situation, uh, you're going to be looking at a kid that is depressed, it's dumpy, may be recumbent, may have a fever, or have a decreased temperature, which can be just as concerning as a high temperature in goat kids. Um, Dumpy, depressed, down, not interested in eating, feeling pretty bad. Um, So diarrhea can be a sign of another infectious process uh, that is going on. This is also what we call in veterinary medicine an extra GI or extra gastrointestinal cause of diarrhea. So some other systemic illness could be causing this kid to have diarrhea. If you're concerned about a kid that is acting depressed and down, fever or low temperature, 
decreased appetite absolutely can be indicated to look for other signs of a source of infection or if you know that that kid did not get adequate colostrum or um, has had a wound or some other kind of injury or aspiration or any other complicating factor. Uh, Those are definitely things to consider um, and look for and possibly have your veterinarian examine. Uh, Sometimes these kids need systemic treatment for these kinds of issues. Moving along uh, kind of as the kids get older, just talking about kids that are really young, um, getting to a little bit older age, I'm going to talk a little bit about coccidiosis. Uh, Coccidia are a protozoan. Uh, They are kind of ubiquitous in the environment in that if you have goats, you probably have some coccidia around. Normal adult goats have coccidia as part of their GI flora, so it is probably to almost positively in the environment. They're species specific, so that means that goats have goat coccidia, chickens have chicken coccidia, and puppies have puppy coccidia. Uh, Coccidia in adult goats is considered normal flora, so that is not exciting to me. Uh, I expect adult goats to have some coccidia, and I even expect goat kids to have some coccidia if I'm looking at a fecal sample. Coccidiosis is when the normal flora, the coccidia protozoan, uh, is has the opportunity to increase in numbers very rapidly. This most commonly happens in kids who are at least three weeks old, Um, and can be going up to five months old. Uh, The most common, commonly happens in kids that are housed inside, so in a barn with high stocking density, which means there's a lot of animals kind of crowded together. Um, If they have wet bedding, uh, if they're fed on the floor, or if they, as goats so charmingly do, um, get their little poopy feet into their feeders and water containers. Coccidiosis is a problem in kids in this age range because their immune system is still developing. So adult goats, as I mentioned, I don't get excited about if I see a couple coccidia on their fecal sample. Um, Their immune system in adult goats is perfectly capable and adequate to keep those coccidia at controlled numbers. So your three-week to five-month-old kids are in uh, at a disadvantage for protecting themselves from coccidia because their immune system is developing. It is not as uh, prepared as an adult goat immune system to keep coccidia numbers in check. Often, also, coccidiosis occurs when there can be some kind of environmental change that causes the number of coccidia in the environment to increase rapidly. So these little guys are out in the environment and suddenly there's a lot of warm, damp bedding. The temperature increases in the early summer and then these guys can proliferate. And then the kids who are eating stuff and putting everything in their mouths are also putting these higher numbers of coccidia in their mouths and setting them up for coccidiosis. Why diarrhea from coccidia can be so severe is because uh, part of the life cycle of this protozoan destroys the intestinal lining cells, so the enterocytes, uh, which leads to diarrhea and dehydration. 
the, the diarrhea associated with coccidiosis can be profound, um, and they can just have such severe and watery diarrhea that they simply can't intake enough fluids in order to meet their maintenance needs. Uh, these cases may require rehydration with intravenous fluids by a veterinarian. A lot of people really get excited about coccidia prevention. There are medicated feeds out there um, with decox is the most common, decoquinate is the most common um, coccidia stat that I've seen in feed. Um, so, you know, people get excited about preventing coccidia, preventing coccidiosis. Um, my in my experience raising animals and what I encourage clients to do is to not use a medication or a coccidiostat if possible. The best preventative for coccidiosis is good management. Uh, so that means keeping feet off the ground, keeping feeders clean, changing bedding when it's wet, uh, and trying to not put older kids who may have a better immune system developed may be carrying more coccidia in with younger ones. Unfortunately, the best preventative for coccidia being good management means usually means more work for people. So more hauling bedding around, more shoveling manure, more cleaning buckets. Um, so that's no fun, and it'd be a lot easier if we could give everybody a pill. Um, but I try to discourage that and just really am a proponent of good management. Uh, I've raised a lot of goat kids over the last 10 years, and... Um, mostly they do not need coccidia prevention because we are very, very conscious about keeping them clean and dry and keeping their food source and water sources clean and well-maintained. So you're looking at a goat kid who has diarrhea and you're not sure, is it coccidia? So this is the point where you need to stop and, and think a little bit and problem solve. How could you tell if it's coccidia? first and most direct and easiest definite way is to take a stool sample and look for coccidia. You can do this yourself with a microscope at home. Uh, you can send this to a lab. It's called Mid-America Lab, which I can have a link to in the show notes. Um, or you can take the stool sample to your veterinarian who can look at it and confirm or deny the presence of excessive numbers of coccidia. The other thing, though, to look at is, does the diagnosis fit the patient? Is this kid at least three weeks old? A kid who is three days old has not even had time to get coccidia into its system, let alone live out the life cycle of coccidia enough to develop coccidiosis. Um, so is the age of the kid fit the problem? Is the environment clean? Is this a kid that's in an immaculate stall with fresh, beautiful shavings every single day and there's two kids in a 10 by 10 stall? Uh, that makes me think less likely for coccidiosis. Does the diagnosis fit the patient? So if, like I said, the age and the environment and all of those things uh, look like coccidia, if this is a five-week-old kid who is in a 10 by 10 stall with a dozen other kids with wet bedding and it's 80 degrees during the day and 50 degrees at night and they're putting their little poopy feet all up in their water and in their grain trough and they're eating hay off the floor. Yeah, that looks a lot more like coccidiosis to me than 
a three-day-old kid in a beautiful, clean stall. Even with the best management and prevention strategies, uh, non-medicated prevention strategies, uh, sometimes you may find yourself with an outbreak of coccidia in your kid group in the environment. Uh, Sometimes things just get a little out of hand and there is a need for helping those goat kids to get those numbers of those protozoans back in check. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the different medications that are available to help them get those coccidia numbers back down. None of these medications are going to work immediately. They're all in a group of medications called coccidiostats. So that stat means that they're stopping the life cycle. They're interrupting the life cycle of the coccidia. The ones that are already there and alive and mature will um, either die in their natural life cycle or be killed by the animal's immune system. So there are about a half a dozen or so different medications that are in the coccidiostat category. Uh, we'll start by talking about amprolium, which is the trade name Corid. Uh, Corid is uh, most commonly used as a water additive, and its mechanism of action, so basically how it works, is that is the thiamine analog. It blocks the uptake of thiamine by the coccidia. I've definitely seen people get concerned about using this particular product because at very high doses, it could have potential to interfere with thiamine uptake in ruminants. However, having said that, when this product is used as directed, that shouldn't be a problem because the coccidia uh, organism is about 40 times more sensitive to blocking of thiamine than a ruminant. If you were really, really worried about causing a thiamine deficiency in your animals, you could supplement them with B-complex. But in my experience, when this is used as directed, it's not a problem. And as I mentioned, I've personally found it to be most easy to use by just adding it as directed to the group's water source. Uh, Coccidia is usually a group problem. It's a little less common to have one individual who is affected with a high number of coccidia. So adding it to the group water source is a very efficient and effective way to help that problem. The next most commonly available coccidia stat in my experience is decox, which is a trade name, or decoquinate. Uh, This is most commonly found in a feed additive form. So if you see a medicated goat feed, and actually a medicated chicken feed too, is usually this particular coccidia stat. Um, It works by interfering with the mitochondrial function of the protozoa. Uh, I don't know of a concern for overdosing this in a ruminant. It'd be difficult to do if you're feeding it in a controlled manner. Um, But the mitochondria are the cellular uh, energy providers, and it interferes with those organelles in protozoans. Another feed additive that is fairly common is monensin, which trade name is ruminsin. Uh, It's also a feed additive. Um, This has a different mechanism of action than decox. It's an ionophore. So this modifies the cell membrane of the protozoans so that it is not able to maintain its appropriate um, ion function. So cells want to keep certain ions in and certain ions out, certain uh, molecules and elements in and out, and this destabilizes the membrane and disrupts the function. 
this medication does affect mammal cells, so does, isn't going to focus solely on the protozoans on the coccidia. Um, toxicity is possible, especially in horses. So if you have this around and you are a goat owner and a horse owner, you would definitely want to keep this out of the horse's access. Um, horses are about a hundred times more sensitive to monensin than ruminants are. So then we come to one medication that's fairly popular and widely used for coccidiosis. Um, it's kind of a family of antibiotics, uh, grouped together called sulfonamides. Uh, this includes Albon, Dimethox, um, SMZs, TMS, all of those are in the same family of antibiotic antimicrobial. Uh, they're not my first choice of a coccidiostat because they are broadly antimicrobial. So these are not specific to be working against just protozoans. These are also going to be affecting the animal's gut flora. Um, some of these products are also fairly... Um, stringently regulated by the USDA and um, oversight of antimicrobials in food animals. The mechanism of action for these is to prevent folic acid synthesis, which prevents DNA and RNA synthesis and ultimately prevents the organisms from replicating. Um, but as I mentioned, it is not a specific antiprotozoal medication. It also will affect other bacterial organisms. And if I can use a product with a more narrow spectrum of action that would be more specific to just protozoans, that would be my preference because I'd rather not mess with the gut biome with all those microbes in the rumen uh, if I can help it. So um, lots of people may like that product, but it is not my first choice uh, when I'm trying to treat coccidiosis. The last couple of drugs in the coccidiostat category are ponazaril and toltrazaril. Uh, these are newer generation antiprotozoal medications. Uh, the trade name for ponazaril is Marquis and for toltrazaril is Baycox. Neither of these is a, an approved coccidiostat for goats in the United States. Uh, Baycox is not approved for use for any species in the United States at this point, though I believe it is and has been approved in Australia and New Zealand, possibly also Canada for a while. Um, Marquis is approved in the United States for treatment of EPM in horses, which is equine protozoal myeloencephalitis. So that is a protozoal infection uh, involving the nervous system in horses. Marquis is also super expensive. Um, these drugs appear to be quite effective at this time, um, but unfortunately with Marquis being super expensive and Baycox being not available legally in this country, uh, we don't have a lot of solid information about their use um, or their availability. But like anything else uh, that is supposed to be not available, but works well. Uh, there are definitely questionable ways of getting toltrazoril in particular. Um, there are some websites that import it uh, with questionable legality into the United States, and people are definitely using it. I would not recommend using it because of this 
questionable sourcing, um, but it's definitely out there. Uh, Both of these drugs work by interfering with the cellular nucleus division and mitochondrial function of protozoans. That's going to conclude my overview of diarrhea in goat kids. Um, So in brief review, always look at the animal and ask yourself, is this a self-limiting or life-threatening diarrhea? Uh, Think about what your animal age is, what its environment's like. Think about what we know about uh, different causes of diarrhea. And hopefully this has been some useful information and may help you the next time you see a kid that's having a little bit of a poopy butt. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I hope that this podcast has provided you with some food for thought and uh, hopefully some good learning material and a source for some information when you need it. Uh, You can find show notes at goatdoc.com. You can contact me at goatdoccara, G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Meh.